some from them, and it's to the tune Stuttgart. So let's stand. Praise the Lord, all you his servants. Praise his name with glad accord. You who serve God in the temple, in the dwelling of the Lord. Praise the Lord, for this is fitting. He is good, his praise proclaim. Praise the Lord, for it is pleasant to sing praises to his name. For I know the Lord is mighty, greater than all gods he is. He is sovereign in the heavens, on the earth and in the sea. Praise the Lord, O house of Levi, you who fear him. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord who dwells in Zion, in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Morning, everyone. As you sit down, I can ask you to reach for a Bible if there's one in front of you and to turn to Psalm 124. It's page 623 if you're in one of these church Bibles, but Psalm 124 that we're going to look at together this morning before we share the Lord's Supper. As ever, I bring greetings from the folks in St. Andrews, and uh, lots of people from around the country have been in touch to say that they're praying for you, uh, for your vacancy committee and your elders as we continue the search for uh, a new minister together. So I hope you're encouraged that people are praying and uh, committing you to the Lord in this search. It was uh, good to have Chris praying for our patience, I think. Uh, We'd always love it if things could move faster, but uh, we're asking the Lord to provide the right man at the right time, and uh, hopefully it won't be too long. (laughs) So if you're there in Psalm 124, let me lead us in prayer. We're humbled to remember that you are with us this morning, almighty God by the power of your spirit. And we're humbled to remember that though we are so faithless and so weak and fall so far short of your glory that nevertheless in the Lord Jesus you are for us and you have loved us with an everlasting love. So kindle in our own hearts a new gratitude for you, a new affection for you and your son this morning we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So Psalm uh, 124, you'll see it's called a song of ascent. That just means that it's one of the, the songs that the people of Israel sang every year. They downed tools and walked up to Jerusalem for uh, some religious festivals, and they sang these psalms, 123 to 134, uh, 135 on the way, and uh, this was one of them. Let's read it together. A song of ascent of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, 
If the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It'd be a great help to me if you could uh, keep that open in front of you. You'll know that the, the question, what if is one that people love to ask. One of, the, um, one of our kids at the moment is doing a project at school on the causes of the First World War, and he's been having to ask himself the question, what if on the 28th of June, 1914, this guy, Gavrilo Princip, hadn't assassinated Archduke Franz Ferdinand? How would that have changed the history of Europe in the 20th century? Uh, sports fans love to ask this question. They do it so much that we get boring. Uh, what if the referee had or hadn't given a penalty? If you're a Scottish rugby fan, you're particularly good at asking this question. You can keep the debate going for decades after the event, it seems to me. Filmmakers make a fortune out of asking this question. Uh, depending on your vintage, uh, back to the future, sliding doors, it's a wonderful life. All of them ask us to look back and ask what if? What if I'd never been born? What if I'd missed the train? And some here may have asked the question more personally as well. What if I'd never come to Dundee or to Scotland? What if I'd chosen a different career path? What if I'd married someone different? Where would I be now? And if ever you suffer a, a near miss, then what if is a particularly poignant question to ask. Uh, a friend of mine was devastated back in 2001 when he was made redundant. Uh, devastated, wasn't sure how he'd provide for his family. One week later, though, his old team went on a conference to New York. And so they were all inside the World Trade Center when the planes hit it, and not one of them survived. 18 years now, he's been asking the question, what if? And Psalm 124 is a, is a bit of a thought experiment in which God asks us to imagine a universe in which God were not on the side of his people. What if God had never sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for sinners like us? What would have happened if God were not on our side? And if you glance at verse 6, you'll see the, the psalmist's aim. He's wanting us to imagine a past without God so that we are provoked to fresh praise for God. Imagine a past when he wasn't on our side, so that we're as grateful as we should be that he really is on our side in the Lord Jesus. That's his logic. And as we come to the table to receive communion this morning, it's a good exercise for us to follow through, hopefully to kindle in our hearts fresh gratitude for his love. Two points as we work through it briefly together. First, picture a world without God's deliverance. Picture a world without God's deliverance. And if you glance down at the, the passage, you'll see that verses 1 to 5 are made up of two if-nots in verses 1 and 2, and then four would-haves in verses 3 to 5. And you'll see that although the psalm was written by God's King David, it's not a solo. No sooner has he 
got started, then he's inviting the whole of Israel to join in with him. If the Lord had not been on our side, verse 1, let Israel say, all of us, let's join in, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us. And just what those, those consequences would have been for the king and for the people alike are spelt out in these four woodhouse. First, David says, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. Uh, there are plenty of moments in David's own life that he might have been calling to mind. Perhaps the time he stood in front of the, the giant Goliath when Saul flung a spear across the room to try and kill him. What if? And the rest of God's people had plenty of their own near misses to call to mind too. Maybe they remembered that story of their, their forefathers being pursued by Pharaoh's army and coming up to the water's edge. And it looked like it was a choice between drowning on the one hand and slaughter on the other until the Lord parted the waters and led them through to safety. Maybe they remembered Gideon's army, just 300 men he had. They were up against an army so numerous, we're told that they had as many camels as there are grains of sand on the seashore. What if God hadn't been with us? Well, the people sang, they would have swallowed us alive. Uh, some commentators think the images of an, an earthquake. There's a couple of places in Numbers where the ground literally opens up and swallows people whole. We'll all have seen images of, uh, on the TV of the aftermath of an earthquake. Roads just split in two. More likely, I think, the image is that of a ravenous beast. If you were to um, call to mind the film Jaws, you'd be on the the right lines, I think. You're there in the water. Your legs are flapping to try and keep you afloat. And you see this fin approaching. And you know that he's coming for you. And you know that there's nothing that you can do. That's what it would have been like for us, says David. We would have been swallowed alive if God hadn't saved us. The next three would have the variations on the same theme. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. We'll remember the concerns this summer over the Whaley Bridge Dam. Do you remember everyone getting very excited about it? Would it burst its banks or not? I, I looked it up. The biggest ever dam failure was uh, in China in 1975. Record rainfall. The Banqiao, I think if that's how you say it, dam gave way, 171,000 people were killed in an instant, and a further 11 million were left homeless. And David says, let's face facts, that would have been us. Not that it could maybe have been us, it would have been us. It's a certainty we would have been swept away. Well, as we bring this point through to us today, it's helpful to remember that these, were first, these words were first sung by God's King David, and then the people joined in. So we'll need to think about what these words would have meant on the lips of Jesus as he sang them, and then how they apply to us. And I was thinking about Jesus alone in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, under constant attack from his enemy, the devil, Peter, do you remember tempting him to avoid the path of the cross? You don't have to die. Or as he sweat what looked like drops of blood in Gethsemane? As he hung on the cross and was taunted by the crowds? Hebrews says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. But if just once 
he departed from the will of his Father in heaven. If the Father hadn't empowered him by his Spirit for a life of constant and perfect obedience to his will, well, then Jesus could never have saved anybody. Or think of mankind's greatest enemy, death itself. What if the the Father had abandoned his Son to the grave after all? What if he hadn't exerted what the New Testament calls his incomparably great power to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him at his right hand in heaven, far above all rule and authority? How Jesus' enemies would have laughed if the grave had been able to swallow him forever. How they'd have mocked as the flood of death swept him away. If the Lord hadn't been on his side, we'd have no saviour. We can ask the question for God's corporate people, the church as well. What if the Lord hadn't been on our side? Um, when a member of our staff team moved on a while back, he gave me a, a book of early Christian martyr stories. Um, quite why he wanted me to read about martyrdom, I'm not sure. I tried not to take that too personally, but I came across the, the story of a young woman called Perpetua. Maybe some will know it. She was a, a young mum. Uh, Her son was young enough that she was still breastfeeding when she was arrested for her faith. And they told her that she would be killed if she didn't renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. Even her own father came to her and begged her to say that she wasn't really a follower of Jesus. Your son needs you, he said to her. She refused. On Caesar's birthday, just for a bit of sport, she was tossed to the wild animals. She was trampled by a cow. That didn't kill her, so they sent someone to run her through with a sword. The first blow, lunge of the sword, didn't kill her. Still, she stood firm for Christ. Eventually, she took hold of the blade herself and used it to slit her own throat. There are so many accounts like that in the early history of the church. What if God hadn't empowered just ordinary men and women like us Perpetua would have been the age of some of you, I guess. What if the Lord hadn't empowered them to remain so bold even in the face of death? What if that persecution hadn't been used by God to facilitate the spread of his gospel faster than anyone could have dreamed? Would the church have made it out of the first century? More locally, what if God hadn't remembered the people of Scotland down through the the centuries? What if he hadn't raised up reformers and theologians and preachers of Christ and him crucified who would be willing to give their life for the cause of the gospel here? If God hadn't remembered Scotland, well, we wouldn't be here this morning. The world, the flesh, the devil, they're powerful enemies. Their anger has flared against the church all through history. And if the Lord hadn't been on our side... Let the church say they would have swallowed us alive. I don't know if you've ever bought a diamond or been there when someone's been buying a diamond for you. You'll know that the, the jeweler doesn't, if he's going to display the, the diamond for you, he or she doesn't set it on a, a white sparkly background because that would dull its beauty. Instead, it, it's set against this black cloth so you can see And they put the fancy lights on it to make it reflect even more uh, than it would do otherwise. It's meant to accentuate the the brightness, the beauty of the stone. 
And Psalm 124 is like that, I think. It's asking us to picture this past without God, not as an end in itself, but so that we're grateful for the reality that God is there, that he's with us, and that he's for us. So second then, praise be to God for his deliverance. Verse 6. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's a lovely question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism that we we say together occasionally in St. Andrews. I ask the question, why do you call Jesus Lord? And the answer is, because it wasn't with gold or silver, but with his precious blood that Jesus has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil and has bought us, body and soul, to be his very own. And here David says, praise be to the Lord our covenant-making, our promise-making, promise-keeping and ever-present God. Because the what-if never happened. He didn't let us be destroyed, but delivered us from our enemies. And to colour in his point, David takes us first back to the the world of the nature documentary and a a predator with razor-sharp teeth there in verse 6. Uh, There was a time when David was on the run from King Saul and uh, he had to hide in some caves. When he reflected on the experience later in Psalm 57, he talked about being forced to dwell in the midst of lions and ravenous beasts. He may have that in mind here. But the, the pilgrims who sang this psalm on the way up to Jerusalem every year would, I think, have had a more metaphorical danger in mind. And that's the way that many of us will be able to relate to this most strongly this morning as we remember the the sin that crouches at our door looking to lead us astray. You may remember the Apostle Peter speaking about our enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Not a pussycat, but a, a lion who is hungry and restless. And he wants to destroy your faith. There's nothing the devil would love more than to see one of God's children begin to harden their heart to his word, to allow the deceitfulness of sin to close us off to God. That's why Paul tells us to put on the the full armor of God. It's a challenge we need. But here the point is we're to praise our faithful Lord. Because even though the dangers all around us are real, he's never allowed us to be torn to pieces by the attacks of the evil one. Um, I've been a a Christian now for 27 years. It was the the 6th of February 1992 that uh, the Lord opened my eyes to to see that Jesus is Lord. As I was thinking about it, I, I know that I didn't deserve God's love and kindness then. And there hasn't been a single day since when I've deserved his love and kindness anymore. I did the sums. That's 10,097 days 
It's uh, 242,318 hours that God has been guarding me against the flaming arrows of the evil one. I know that some of you haven't been following Jesus that long. Some of you haven't been alive that long. Others have been in this race an awful lot longer than I have. However many hours, however many days has passed, whether it's one hour or it's 60, 70, 80 years that your faith has persevered, you know, you owe your survival in faith entirely to him. It's his grip on you, not your grip on him that's kept you this long. If he hadn't been on our side, we'd all have given up long ago. So the psalmist says, praise be to the Lord for that. Final images of the hunter's snare in verse 7. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. We're out of the wildlife documentary and we're in a forest somewhere dressed in camouflage gear and there's a hunter there. He's probably American. They do this sort of thing a bit more often than we do, but he's trying desperately to catch uh, a bird in his snare. And so here's this poor little creature mooching around very happily in the woods, totally unaware that if it takes just one small step to the left, the trap will spring shut on his leg and crush it to pieces or whatever. Sorry to be quite so graphic about that on a, on a Sunday morning. But there were times when David was hunted physically. For most of us, though, again, the traps will be spiritual. Jesus said everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Hebrews encourages us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Peter speaks of sin, which he says wages war against our soul. And it's the same idea. We're like the little bird in the, in the woods. And there right beside us is the, the snare of sexual immorality or the trap of materialism. There's the pit of career and success. There's the idolatry of the family and of pleasure and of control over other people. Do you think that, that sometimes we've been oblivious to the dangers that there are all around us? Do you think that sometimes we, we know their dangers, but rather than fleeing from them, we decide to see how, how close we can get to them without the trap snapping shut? Have no doubt that if the Lord had not been on our side, the snares of sin and evil would have caught us long ago. And so says David, praise be to the Lord, because we have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. Because for as many of us as have trusted in Jesus, he has set us free from sin. Do you notice that tense in verse 7? The snare has been broken. Once it's broken, it can't get you again. And we have escaped once and for all, definitively, as Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was dying to set us free from the realm of sin and death, to transfer us out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We now live in the 
realm of righteousness and life. That's how great our salvation is. And so praise be to the Lord. Again, there's lots of ways you can apply this truth. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He said, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to God as an instrument for righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master. And again, I'm sure that's a challenge that we need to hear. But in Psalm 124 itself, the the main application and, and challenge isn't to holiness, but to praise and to a renewed confidence in our God. That's why they sang this as they walked up to Jerusalem, to remember God's salvation and renew their confidence in him. If he were not on our side, he would never have sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us. Not one of us would be a Christian. There would be no hope of forgiveness for any of our wrongs. We would have no answer to death. We would have no home in the heavenly Jerusalem to look forward to. And so, says the psalmist, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So let's praise him. Verse 8 is um, John, or was John Calvin's favorite verse in the whole Bible. I'm sure as you look down at it again, you'll be able to understand why. If our help were in the name of any lesser being, if it were down to us to guard ourselves, or down to us as a church to guard each other, we would have no confidence, we'd be riddled with insecurity and anxiety. But our help comes from the one who first made and now maintains and manages all things. Our help comes from the one who has pardoned us and the one who's promised to protect us and to provide for us all the way to heaven. So we are safe in the care of the Lord Jesus this morning. Two final words then. One to a Christian here this morning. Anyone who if it feels cold in their praise of God, I'm sure we all have days like that, whole seasons sometimes, when we, we know these truths and we worship God with our lips, but our hearts are not in it. As we come to communion this morning, I want to encourage you to stop and to, to run through this experiment then in your mind. What if God hadn't been with us What if there were no bread here to symbolize the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ? What if there were no wine to symbolize the blood that he was willing to shed for you? Picture a past without him, but then wonderfully remember that this table is not empty, that the Lord is on our side, that he so loved the world he gave his one and only son for us. And remember that because God is for us, none can be against us. 
And that is sure to provoke fresh praise and confidence in us. But to any who wouldn't call themselves a, a follower of Jesus here this morning, you may have twigged that Psalm 124 isn't for you this morning a, a thought experiment. It's not a what if, but what will be washed away, engulfed, and swallowed by the very judgment of God himself. But the wonderful news of Christianity is that it doesn't need to be that way. I'm sure if you saw a, a toddler in the woods and someone had left a trap out and they were walking closer and closer to it, or you saw a little one and they were about to fall into a raging torrent somewhere, you would shout and scream and you would urge them to safety. And it's in that vein that we urge you this morning to, to turn to God's King Jesus and to receive the rescue that he died to receive so that you can join us in praising the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who loved us and who was willing to experience the raging waters of death so that we might live forevermore. As I close, this is, I think, just a, a central aspect of our Christian identity, one that we should never move away from. There are loads of ways that um, God describes his people in the Bible. We did a whole series on this in St. Andrews this summer. We're sons and heirs of a heavenly father. We're sheep of a, a good shepherd. We're living stones in a temple. We're living sacrifices that are pleasing to God. But in the midst of it all, we're a rescued people. And the more that we remember that, the more we'll be a people of praise. And the more we'll be able to give ourselves to the work that God has given us to do. As you look to the future as a church, there is so much to do. We all have friends. We all have neighbors and colleagues. There are thousands who live within just a, a mile or two of this building who know absolutely nothing of this rescuing God. And you'll need to think creatively with your session and with your new minister about how you can share the love of God with them. They need it so much. All our churches need to rethink about how we disciple people. How do we equip each other to be disciples who then go on and make disciples of others? How do we best fulfill our duties to world mission? How do we best train up the next generation of gospel workers? God has enabled so much here in St. Pete's over the last few decades, but there is so much more to do. How wonderful it is then that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who has loved us with an everlasting love, who's delivered us from the snares of sin and death and who promises to see us home to our heavenly Jerusalem, his new creation. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we want to thank and praise you for your kindness, your goodness and your love. Thank you that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. 
we remember that there was nothing about us that was lovely in your sight. But it's your very nature to love and to have mercy on undeserving sinners like us. And so we praise you that you have done that. Praise you for our personal salvation if we've trusted in Christ. Praise you for the preservation of your church, for the preservation of gospel witness here in Scotland. And thank you that this great gospel is being preached and is bearing fruit all over the world today. We praise you that you've not given up on our world, but that you are building your church and saving a purified people for your son. And we have, give great thanks that we have a home in heaven waiting for us that he has prepared. And we ask that even as we gather this morning, you would fix our minds on that day and you would strengthen us to live for you as we wait. In Jesus' precious name, amen.